Welcome to Food and Loathing, where we are always ready for the holidays because, honestly, how can you not be thankful for the chance to live and eat in Las Vegas, which is the greatest Christmas <laughs> present on earth? Yay! I love it. And I am, of course, thankful for the people that are here with me, but we'll get to that in a minute. I'm your host, Al Mancini, a 20-plus year veteran of the Las Vegas food scene, writer, and the creator of the Neon Feast Restaurant Guide. Keeping me honest and on track is my co-host, a freelance food writer, and the creator of the Wishbone and Vine food blog, as well as an admin for the Please Send Noodles cookbook-inspired cooking club, Ms. Samantha Gemini Stevens. And protecting us all from overmodulation, popped peas, and other auditory annoyances, our engineer is Mr. Rich Johnson. Can't uh, save you from alliteration, though. <laughs> never, never too much alliteration. Always alliteration. And as we are coming to you this episode, what? As we are, and yes. we are, and we are coming to you this episode from the Plaza Hotel at the intersection of Main and Fremont Streets here in downtown Las right, Vegas. Right in the bar of Oscar Steakhouse. Oh, I love this view. Yes, a great view here at Oscar Steakhouse. I was just out on the relatively new patio checking yeah. out the vibe out there. It's nice. I don't know if that was there last time we recorded here. I don't so. think so. He was under construction. Yeah, under they were still doing a lot of building. Yeah, it's, that whole big... The donuts, the slots up here, and the carousel bar in what was the Portica Share. Come, if you haven't been to the plaza in a long time, come on down, because there's yeah. a lot of great stuff here now. Good enough for Bono, it's good enough for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the place is hopping today, let me just say. Yeah. I have not had to drive up the parking garage that many levels, and yeah. I don't know how long. It is full. <laughs> Wednesday. So go plaza. It may be super bingo time. They, they used to do that like twice a year, and then it's like <laughs> once a month now with ah. super contests where they get 2,000 people coming in. Oh, my goodness. Well, that all would explain to play it. bingo for two days. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, casino bingo. That's a whole thing. It is. That's it's like its own a animal. Whole thing. You know, it's like almost <laughs> impossible. If you if you'd like live someplace that is not Las Vegas and you grew up, then I, I, I grew I had up. church I was, bingo. I was raised Roman Catholic, man. <laughs> yep. We, we love the bingo, man. And, you know, like we would go and we'd all have to work it kids in the Catholic school and that kind of shit. And, you know, the little old ladies with their troll dolls and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. The, the, the dabbers, yeah. All that. If that's what you're thinking when you think bingo, then you've never been to Las Vegas bingo. Because <laughs> finding even a parlor where you can dab your own numbers is really, really hard. Oh, you can Very, do it. You, you, it's Some don't here. allow it. Some oh. have it as an option. But for the most part, people are playing like 7 million cards. Yeah. And they're just, it's They're all on the screen. You basically pay your money and just sit there for 45 five minutes as the games go by and you yeah and and the, the the cool thing here is that when you're one number away it starts flashing and <laughs> oh gosh uh, All that and then you hear bingo from the other side of the room and god damn it so i guess it's great the way vegas does bingo because it saves you from like missing things especially right? if you want to get drunk or whatever and yeah. play bingo but honestly it's about as mind-numbingly boring to me <laughs> yeah. as playing Kino in a bar, yeah. which I'm not saying Kino's I haven't done. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But oh, we've all done it. Yeah, we, we all do it. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. we've all won because, let's face it, we're degenerate fucking gamblers. But that being said, bingo, not for me. Well, that's, it's, I will defend it and say it is a pretty efficient use of your money and time. You pay about 50 bucks here for the all-card session, and you're in there for almost an hour, and they'll give you two, two free drinks and maybe okay. a donut. Okay. And, you know, you know, you can lose 50 bucks in three minutes playing blackjack. Yeah. 
Or one hand. Not quite as efficient as maybe a sports book, right? Like, I figure you put some money on a game and spread uh, it around, it'll last a while. Yeah, sports books are a lost leader, pretty much. The last lost leader, really, for a lot of places, or the margin's very, very small for the yeah. places that operate them. Hmm. But people want them. Well, I don't know, because you usually, I see minus 110 on, on pickums all the time. That means they're taking home. Ten percent or twenty percent? Ten percent. Ten percent, right? Yeah. Ten yeah. percent of, you bet of the amount wager. So that's a pretty high take. That's a nice hold, I would think, for a casino. No. Yeah. yeah except that it's the game take labor a long intensive. Time. Yeah, and the game take a long time. There's a lot of people involved yeah. making odds. Yeah. You bet a hundred. If you win, they give you ninety. Right. Well, they give you your hundred and ninety. Yeah. One ninety. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's and there you busted. go. There's, that's about all we're going to do, man. Uh, somebody yeah. say food. Have food? you heard about food? Wait, we wait, eating? What's food? We drinking? We doing anything like that? <laughs> Fuck it. You guys know how the show starts. We, um, we don't do professional. You know, we talk some shit in the top. Then we get to talking about food. And um, we don't do professional reviews on this show, but we like to tell you about where we've been eating. We like to give you an idea of what we're liking, what we're not liking, and give you a feel for it. So, yeah, I guess we're going to start off with Rich. I'm just hoping as our resident junk food junkie <laughs> that you've done more than some Christmas happy meals or whatever the fuck this week. I'm looking for it. Oh, there it is. There you are. There's your okay. name right there. Yeah, there it is. There's I just something else there. Well, we got way oh. the fuck off track with yeah, you, yeah. though. There's no I'm sorry, brief, outline brief anymore chatter. at this point. <laughs> I was about to read brief chatter. Uh, I did enjoy uh, a little bit of sort of fast food. It was the antidote to that hideous stone-cold hot dog I had in L.A. at SoFi two weeks ago. I went to UNLV's final regular season football game at Allegiant Stadium. The Rebels were slaughtered, but they uh, still play for the Mountain West Championship tomorrow as this episode drops. Holstein's had a stand, and their straight-up hot dog was wonderful. Hot, juicy, snappy. Uh, one new thing. We're a no-straw stadium, the woman proudly exclaimed to oh, me goodness. when I asked for a straw. Protecting the turtles. I guess. Not the desert tortoises. <laughs> I don't think they anyway, gonna... have to worry about <laughs> But the lid on, the, on the, the, the fountain Coke Zero had a little flap on it like coffee lid, so I fold that back in my soft drink. There I don't like know. straws Fine. anyway. I never I have too. understood. Yeah. I know, I, I don't. I just, I like drinking out of a cup. That's how mm -hmm. people drink, right? I've never understood, by the way, like people who get freaked out if they don't have a straw, right? Like, yeah. it's suddenly like, oh my God, I have to touch my lips to that glass. And I'm like, oh, you're yeah. eating I have, off I have of their fucking plate and their knives and their forks Bingo. and all their other shit, you crazy motherfucker, <laughs> <Yeah>. germaphobe, <laughs> Howard Hughes wannabe. <laughs> Speaking of bingo, bingo. I have a friend who says that exact same thing. Why should I put my lips on this glass? What else is everything coming in and you're still yeah. touching it and you're yeah. vibing it? <laughs> Those are like the nut job people who like um, won't. And yeah, I know I'm talking to I'm alienating yeah, my yeah. audience. Fine. Look, nut job. It's a, a term of endearment in my life because I'm a fucking nut job, too. I call my dog a nut job. But there you go. The, you know, the nut job people who like they, they don't want the waiter taking the food back to box it up before they go home. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And they, yeah. they need to have it done in front of them. Because apparently they don't trust the same staff that they've trusted to prepare <laughs> to their food, down. bring it to them. They've eaten it all. But suddenly they get like real. I don't know what they're doing back there. In that oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're doing they're the whizzing all over it. Don't eat there. Okay. <laughs> that was my uncle's phobia about putting a straw in a can of soft drink. I said, well, if you see those factories, some of those... People, they're, they're like peeing all over the the six packs as yeah. they go by the assembly line. Yeah, yet you're going to put your lips I, in it. No, that's why he went oh, to straw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After living in New York City, I'm probably the only person I know who lived in New York City for a long time that will drink a can 
out of a um out of like just a, 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 a bodega a bodega right yeah, yeah. yeah just pop it open and put that to I my lips that. because a lot of people that have been in New York and have actually seen, oh yeah I mean yeah there are people being yeah, yeah. on okay. things for, in the United States point taken for yeah. years of food service I just always give the top a wipe down I know I'm not yeah. going to get it any cleaner than that anyway so right yeah <laughs> feel better exactly um, hey Rich quick question yeah. you were at um the game right so I need to know during your travels to and from the stadium did you happen to get any ads on your phone for neon feast lists for the restaurants that are at or near the stadium because we just started running oh. some carousel ads highlighting our list of the best places to eat in the stadium best places to eat near the stadium best places to eat in mandalay bay and we're targeting people who you know we think fit the profile of those going to the stadium on game day i've seen oh. those yeah i do I, I i don't do i used to doom scroll when uh-huh. when certain things were happening in in the political world and I've replaced that with watching reels of puppies and you know comedy yeah, shows yeah. And things like that um, and I have been seeing Neon Feast ads they are coming to me they know their target audience awesome. <laughs> for me I'm no. super excited I showed John the first time I, I went look at this I will go look for them now though now well, that I, I mean, no need to look for them yeah, I, you yeah. know I'm paying for each person that sees yeah. them you already know about Neon Feast so <laughs> it's okay, man. okay. Um, so I was up early Sunday looking for breakfast I didn't feel like going to a casino and I learned that lesson 7 a.m., even 8 a.m. are the opening times for most standalone breakfast places that I could find in the, the greater west side. Drove all over the place and ended up right back near my house at the Cracked Egg at 7 o'clock when they opened up Rampart and Lake Mead. Had a veggie-filled omelet, onions, peppers, mushroom spinach. Very good side of a pancake. So huge, I brought half of it home and had it later. Yeah, I love that place, but it is massive portions. But yeah, yeah. People are also super boring. nice. Yeah, they are very nice. A couple of days later, I had the same sort of breakfast Jones. I hit Eggworks on South Rainbow. I was actually waiting for a bit of aftercare on my brand new electric car. Ooh, look at you, saving yeah. the turtles, saving the fucking planet. Wow. Yeah, right. On fire. Uh, I got a little sausage links with a good recommendation. Always ask the server, patties or sausage, and he's, or patties or links, and he said links. They were good. The bagel, however, was disappointing. Straight out of the grocery store bag, one little container of cream cheese spread. (laughs) That legal thing. I asked for another one, and it was no actual cheese product. Exactly. Yeah, American style cheese food product. Uh, Conveyor belt sushi time again for me. I went to Sapporo Revolving Sushi on Spring Mountain, and it filled the bill. They have four locations. It's a well-oiled machine, so to speak. <laughs> you grab the usuals from the lower belt that go by, and if you want something custom, you order off the touch screen, and it comes on the upper belt and stops right at your booth. Mm. And uh, the th- nice thing about those is, is uh, not the massive amount of rice you get on the all-you-can-eat oh, sushi I know. places. I just can't do those anymore. Yeah. Uh, last of the Thanksgiving dinner was a couple, three days ago, and I did something I'd never done before. Turkey carcass soup. Yeah, baby. And I only had the turkey breast, so it was a small bit of bone, but yeah. boy... It really came out with a lot of flavor after a couple of hours of uh, simmering boiling. I had the turkey breast, uh, cubes, onion, celery, carrots, thyme, tarragon, garlic, salt, and pepper. I had enough for the moment and about two or three servings that awesome. are in the freezer. So just and- to clarify, like all soup, unless you're like a fucking vegan, is some form of carcass stock, right? Like, I would, yeah, I mean, you, can, you yeah. can make veggie broth, but... Yeah, generally yeah. speaking, yeah. But generally speaking I'm throwing bones in yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. Just, <laughs> everybody has your, your way with words, which we don't you yeah. say that quiet part out But loud. how much carcass, you know, how much flavor kind of depends on how much carcass. Absolutely. Was, yeah. uh, like that. Oh, in one uh, late edition as we uh, sit here, before I set up the stuff, I went to the Mexican Grill, one of the places here at the plaza, okay. in their little food court. 
It's uh, it's a Chipotle knockoff. It's owned by these folks, and and it was a really good, serviceable. I, I want this. I want that. I want not so much rice, not so much beans. I want more sour cream. You know exactly cool. the way you want it, and it was uh, wonderful. Uh, it's right next to the McDonald's. Which is going away. There will be one fewer McDonald's in the world. Or is it more like amoebas as one dies, another one grows? Uh, uh, Jonathan yeah. Jossel has not said what is going in that space yet, but uh, stay tuned. Awesome. More like a, a, a virus, I would say. <laughs> right. You kill yeah, one, better, four more yeah. pop up. Yeah. yeah they uh, somebody well, else. Okay. Ronald. I didn't bring a McDonald's bag up here. I went to the Mexican place specifically because I knew you would disapprove of any McDonald's within your eyesight. Either that or I would ask you for some fucking fries. Right? <laughs> you know, I mean. I know how to eat in here. <clears throat> I will eat a McDonald's fry. I'll be the first to admit that. What about you, Gemini? I know you've been traveling. Last week you joined us remotely from Mexico. So um, have you even had time to eat anywhere locally i did i did um and matter of fact it was this morning um i love to try stuff that's new to me i've been doing this coffee house thing sort of lately and so i tried madhouse coffee on durango and desert inn and i got both a typical breakfast type meal and a lunch dinner meal because i figured i could always save it for later um so the first uh oh, and for those not on our side of the valley there are one or two other locations you can get to so you don't have to go to durango but this is the original right across from desert breeze park i believe that's it yep. yeah and I, I used to go there all the time they they make some very original sandwiches that that's there. what i've heard yeah, yeah. and then the coffee list was great. I wasn't feeling coffee this morning, um, but the food looked really good. So I'll start with the best part, the breakfast croissant. I chose sausage, added avocado. The croissant was super flaky and a touch doughy, but in a good way, because you know, sometimes these, these places, they make their croissants, they sit around all day, they get a little too crunchy and then they just fall apart. You're not actually able to hold on to anything. Mm -hmm. So this was a good thing. But no perfect honeycomb. <laughs> like, no. like, it know, had the, really great layers and yeah. flake, but it had just enough like on the inside where it holds the food together that I could actually bite through it and keep a hold of the sandwich. Uh, so super flaky. Um, and I, uh, you know, again, a lot of the sandwiches you get are really dry. Uh, this bake gave it a lot of texture as well as structure. I loved it. The ingredients were fresh, freshly cooked by all accounts. You could taste each component. And I was admittedly a little surprised. I wasn't expecting something that fresh tasting. Yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't. Um, the other thing we tried uh, was the pesto gnocchi. Not so successful. The dumplings were a bit dense. They I, they were almost so uniform they came out of a package. I, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Uh, but the sauce was really lacking in volume and flavor. Uh, you have a choice of vegan or not. I said not. Mm. Uh, and there was quite a bit of salt, but the garlic and herbs just weren't showing up enough for me. Um, and... The dish was also filled with green beans, which I found a little surprising. Hmm. I don't think that I've ever put green beans with my pesto. I mean, I am Italian. I've never yeah. heard of this. No. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Green beans go in a lot of Italian dishes, but it's just the first time I saw that. So I'm absolutely willing to try it again. The rest, the roasted tomatoes were really, really great. Um, so yeah, hopefully it was just an off day and we'll give it another shot. Yeah, I, I do like that place. It's been a long time since I've been in. I used to go in sometimes to get takeout, like do some interesting sandwiches at home yeah. at night. Um, it's usually a little long wait. Uh, very, very much of a, a coffee culture in yeah. there. Um, also, I feel like kind of an activist sort of crowd that gets together yeah. in there. You know, I see a lot of LGBTQ support and you know things like that yeah. just just let's say pr pretty a nice good yeah. you know, liberal thinking yeah, it felt, it coffee felt really shop community oriented felt like, it know. had a really cool like chill vibe it was a little eclectic i mean i loved all of that about I it i feel like so. they may also have been selling like candy penises or something <laughs> I'm, I'm, i didn't I'm see one of those on but, that, <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know i've got this weird memory i don't know if anybody knows what i'm talking about let me know 
Okay, I guess that brings us to me. That's your turn. Yours truly. So let me fire up the old culinary wayback machine and tell you about my recent meals. Uh, Sue and I returned to the Sundry at Uncommons. This time around, we had a few bites from their Greek concept, Kavos, a trio of amazing spreads with some pita, that's tzatziki, hummus, and um, tiro katferi, which is feta and spicy roasted peppers. Also, a chopped Greek salad, a skewer of shrimp, and some charred broccolini. And then from Ray Garcia's BS Taqueria, I had some elote-style corn ribs. And honestly, you know, part of me really wants to dig in. I've really been liking corn ribs. Yeah. Everybody's been making them recently. It's like suddenly somebody just discovered these little bite-sized, you know, slabs of corn that kind of <laughs> curl up when you cook them. But I have to admit, I like them because they make me feel like Tom Hanks in Big when he <laughs> ate the little baby corns, like, off the cob. And so, yeah, I was digging those. It's worth mentioning that... Um, they're basically, what I was told, I want to make sure I get this right, but as I understand it, B.S. Taqueria and Mizunara, both of which are inside the sundry, yep. those are the, the kind of, the, they, those started off as the standalone sit-down restaurants. Yep. If you wanted to di dine in those restaurants, you had to go and you had to get a table in that restaurant and you were only ordering from those menus. And it was dinner time only. And only at dinner time. Yeah. And whereas the other concepts were all, you know, mix and match wherever you sit, order from your app, all that kind of shit. So... They've changed that up a little. Now, Mizumnara and BS Taqueria, formally, the sit-down restaurants, I believe, are only open on the weekends. Uh, but you can oh. order from their menu in the main dining yes. hall the rest of the week and at all times. So... Again, I think they're just working out the concepts of how things are going to work over in the yeah. sundry, and they're playing around, they're mixing and matching. So you be aware of that. It's a little different. And if you're planning on going in for a sit-down dinner, make sure you call ahead, check, yeah. see if that's available. Um, that should be on the, the weekend. That's good to know. Uh, on Thursday, that would be Thanksgiving, if you're an American, my <laughs> friends Jamie and Anders had us over for Thanksgiving dinner, which they got from Echo and Rig. I mean, it was great. Bravo to them and to Sam Marvin. Believe it or not, I was most impressed with the vegetables, which were really, really good. Um, and that's just because I'm not really a, a big turkey guy, but everything was fantastic. I also brought five flavors of salt and straw ice cream. Oh, you did it. Parker rolls with butter, <laughs> turkey gravy with cranberry, cheesy potato gratin, oh. mom's mango pie, and a vegan, vegan pumpkin pie. Um, the big hit was the Parker rolls. Uh, I also... Now, it took me a while because that night I didn't like them, but I okay. took it all home. I was going to bring them here to share, but yeah. then, you know, a week went by and there was fucking ice cream <laughs> in the freezer and no. you know how that shit works. Um, but so I ended up really getting into the, um, the, the cheesy one over days. Um, and it was really because that savory aspect of it just came out like sort of after the fact. I don't know. It was mostly yeah. sweet and then you get hit those pockets of savory. It's kind of weird, but I, th those did grow on me. Um, I was never really a fan of the turkey with um, the turkey stuffing. Yeah. I should say with no, cranberries. No, 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 no. Just like no. that. Yeah. Too many herbs in that one. Uh, the dessert ones were, were pretty solid. Okay. Uh, really good. But I will tell you, I shouldn't really give you too much information about that because if you head over to Salt and Straw, I don't think they're serving them anymore. <laughs> I checked their website and they now seem to have their Christmas flavors. Ooh. Up. So I have not tried these, but just to get you all in the mood, if I was grossing you out with that last batch of flavors, <laughs> have no fear for Christmas. They have toasted white chocolate and peppermint almonds. They have gingerbread cookie dough. Third flavor being almond brittle with salted ganache. Next up was Duanta's Terramano spiked eggnog. And that's a whole thing they're doing with. Uh, that's like the Rock's Rock tequila. Yeah. Well, yeah. Duanta, he's doing ice cream cakes for them for the holidays. Cool. Too, so he also has that. And then, um, you know, the Rock's tequila that. Wow. <laughs> 
Okay, you just scared me with that one. Um, is it good? <laughs> I I don't remember. It's tequila. And I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definition I only, of good. I only tasted it once, and, oh. and somebody said, "Here, you have to try this." And I found out later that's what it was. Well, you can have his spiked eggnog um, over there. Through I'm this gonna month. have to go check it out now. And also, their vegan flavor this month is chocolate sugar cookie dough. Ooh. And remember, salt and straw does not have straight up chocolate or straight up vanilla. <laughs> no. I know that's one of Rich's biggest yeah. pet like, peeves. I, I'm gonna say this, <laughs> or coffee, or for, for over a year, maybe two years. <laughs> and I didn't know when this was going to come up on the show, but let's go Here right now. Right. Okay, yeah. let's do this. Let's just go off. Today's the, the day. Real. You always say, "Show me you can do the basics," yeah. and then I'll order. No, you never order the fucking good stuff, though. I don't care how many times they've shown you they can do the fucking basics. You stay boring. So oh cut God. out that bullshit that you need them to show you the basics first, and then you'll fucking show some oh balls and get experimental, okay? It took you a year plus to realize. Yeah, it's a bullshit line that you've been trying to make yourself look uh, a little more adventurous. This is the best recording ever. <laughs> Not buying it. Uh, Friday night, I was craving Sicilian pizza. For Ooh. me, there are really only two places in town for that, Metro or Dom DeMarco's. I also love the one at Good Pie, but I don't think it's always on the menu. Um, we went with Dom DeMarco's, and they were honestly having some trouble with their online ordering system that day, oh, no. the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, so it was a little bit of a wait, no problem. The food did not disappoint. I also had some extra time to speak with the team over there, and they showed me the new covered patio area, told me about some of their wine specials, half-off wine, I think, on Wednesdays. Booze specials, like I think it's 10 bucks for Pick Your Own Blanton, for whatever they have behind the bar there. Wow. $7.50 for any of Mark Wahlberg's tequila. Um, I don't know if they have Dwayne I don't Rock know the Johnson. name of that one. Um, I don't know the name of that one either. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, I would have taken more notes, but I think we're going to try to get in there maybe next week or the week after and record a oh, show. Oh, that sounds fun. So um, we'll learn all about that. Yay. On Saturday, we were feeling festive, so we went to check out the Miracle on Spring Mountain at yes. the Sand Dollar Lounge. Still my favorite Christmas pop-up. Sue did their old-fashioned made with a snowball of ice. So you know, good. Really, yeah. really good. Love that. Then we went over to see the fall exhibit at the Bellagio Conservatory before they switch up for Christmas. And while we were there, I had a few bites over in the bar area of Mayfair Supper Club, which is really a fun bar. It's like you're you're stalking the Little Mermaid or something, <laughs> hanging out in that front bar area. It's very under oh, wow. the sea. I like it. Shit. And I do like that. And man, I'll tell you, I think it's like somewhere between 30 and 40 bucks for a single hand roll. But um, I will always go in and have their Wagyu and mm. caviar hand roll. And I'll spring for that any day of the week. It was fucking amazing. So, yes, we love you, Mayfair Supper Club. Um, Next up, I went over to pick up my friend's son from his drum lesson at Town Square. Sue and I were there. So we went into Sicky's Garage afterwards. Honestly, I was not feeling it this time. Um, you know, the buffalo wings were really good. Calix's chicken tenders were decent. Um, Sue's sandwich was okay. Um, my chicken cordon bleu sandwich with comes, came topped with Swiss ham and then some smashed house-made ham and cheese balls. Just felt like they were trying too fucking hard. Yeah. A lot of times, Sicky feels like Sicky's feels like it's trying too hard for me. But then again, I'm not at that phase in my life where I just want people to put the most possible things on yeah. my food. Right. There was a time when I thought that sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just it, it ain't for me so you know Sicky's yeah. still a good place I, I, if you are into that if you want to have the biggest weirdest over the top everything on your hamburger you should still go there and it's on the Neon Feast list for having its fantastic beer list as yeah. endorsed by Bob Barnes of all Absolutely. people so yeah. um, you know it's definitely worth checking it out but I was just not feeling it uh, then last night as we record this I attended a celebration for Mystere's 30th anniversary over at TI big thanks to Rob Cashel Reese for inviting me as his plus one 
one. Uh, the food before the show was really solid delivery of banquet menu cuisine. And that is a compliment because I have a lot of respect for the banquet chefs who work in Las Absolutely. Vegas casinos. I've judged cooking competitions for casinos where the banquet team has like blown away the fine dining restaurants and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, so that's when I say it's good banquet food. That, that's a compliment from me. And I was honestly really flattered when one, one of those chefs came over to me and told me he was a fan of this podcast. Yay! Which was really cool. Very yes, humble. sir. Nice to know people listen. So thank you. Well, coming up in the news, some surprising restaurant closers. A local restaurant scores a national honor. But first, Alice sits down to Chef Todd Harrington to talk about knife making. This is Food and Loathing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. Want the strip? Off strip? Downtown? Great views? Great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. You want more Al Mancini? You can hear me all week long on all of the Highway Drive and Vegas Vibe radio stations delivering the Neon Feast foodie updates. Also, keep your eyes open for my appearances on Wake Up With The CW and my videos on the At Vegas social media channels. And you can find some of my writings at visitlasvegas.com. So I'm here for this segment in the home of Chef Todd Harrington, and I should say the home studio of Chef Todd Harrington, because he just took me out to see his workshop um, where he makes some of the coolest knives in this entire town. And we're going to get to that just momentarily. But first things first, Chef, how are you, man? I'm good, Al. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks. And for those who may not know, I mean, I was just trying to figure out, you and I go back Probably about 15 years, maybe Michelle Richard at Central in Caesars. That's the first I remember meeting you. Is that is that about when we got a first gun contact? That's exactly right. Yep, I'd say uh, pre-opening for Michelle Richard is when we we really started getting into it um, with our relationship. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we had a lot of fun there. And I remember, I don't know if you were up there the night Michelle Richard was screaming that. French national anthem and Guy Savoie's bar one night. I remember that night with you, and you were one of the chefs that roasted me and Max Jacobson and John Curtis at, at my roast that I put we put together for us. Um, so yeah, we that was of course to raise money for Three Square. So yeah, man, we've um, we've we've been around the block a few times. That's right. No, it was a good time, and uh, it's always great seeing you. Great seeing you, man, and great getting you know 
getting to see this operation that you have over here. But from a chef perspective, I should also say Todd most recently spent, I don't know, it feels like a decade or so with Elizabeth Blau and her husband, Kim Cantinwala at Blau and Associates. So how long were you over there? So I was there for about eight years, uh, so almost a decade, not so much. But, um, you know, we did upwards of almost 100 restaurant openings together, uh, a lot of restaurant management, a lot of partnerships, a lot of pre-openings. And it's just, uh, you know, working for Elizabeth Blau is like, you know, culinary steroids. So felt like 20 years, not in a bad, not in a bad way, but it's, it's like 20 years experience just being with her. And the people who know Elizabeth and Kim from Las Vegas, you know, they know Honey Salt. They know Buddy V's. They know, you know, a couple of the big places. But I think a lot of people don't realize what a huge organization that is. Could you exp- – I, I know we're not here to talk about Blount Associates. It's not your current job. But could you explain a bit about how that's an, sort of an international operation? And you were traveling all over the place. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, most of my job uh, was pre-openings and openings and kind of just making sure that – you know, all the standards were kept all around, but we had partnerships all around the U S some actually outside. We did some stuff in the Bahamas. I was there for on and off about three, three and a half years. Uh, we opened up a hotel up in Vancouver, Canada. So we had, you know, six restaurants up there. Um, you know, so a lot of it was just kind of, uh, spinning plates and, uh, you know, it was my job to kind of step in, do, you know, seasonal menu changes, um, you know, help with kind of menu creation and, and, and keep everybody inspired and, you know, just make sure that that, you know, the vision that Elizabeth and Kim had together would transfer into the actual chefs that were doing the the daily plate ups. And then very recently, you moved on. You're now with a, a proto. You're doing behind the scenes work with the proto company Get Fresh. Am I getting the name of the place right? That's right. Get Fresh Sales. Uh, it's a produce company here in Las Vegas. Um, we we supply about seventy percent of the uh, casinos in Las Vegas, uh, majority of the strip, uh, and and about two hundred four walled restaurants around around town. So it's a pretty big uh, operation, but um, it's only growing. And you always have then fresh tomatoes at your house. Always, <laughs> always. Cool, man. Um, but that is not what we're here specifically to talk about, although I'm sure you could teach me a lot about produce and the inner workings of the Las Vegas restaurant industry just talking about the new job. But what we're here to talk about um, is something that anybody who follows you on social media or even follows me and a lot of the chefs in this town on social media will have seen. And that is for about three years now, you have been custom making knives. And it is TH Knives is the name of the company. And I'm sorry, just... TH Blades. TH Blades. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, so TH Blades is the name of the company, and these are all made-to-order, custom-designed knives. Unbelievably gorgeous. I am so proud to own one of these that my wife got for me. Um, but it's a strange thing to even realize that people make knives. I guess there's a TV show on some channel where people do this that I've never watched. But, you know, generally speaking, I don't know. I see some nice knives put in front of me at a steakhouse and I don't think twice about it. When did you get into this as a science and an art form? You know, um, I want to say about five or six years ago, uh, and I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain forever, right? Uh, And he was just a rock star. And he he had a program that was on, I don't know if it was the Travel Channel or, you know, where it was, um, but it was 
he went over to Bob Kramer's um, knife shop and he made a knife with Bob Kramer, or I should say Bob Kramer did majority of the work. And if, and if you don't know whoever's listening, uh, who Bob Kramer is, he's the number one American knife maker in the world for sure. I mean, it's debatable depending on who you talk to, but he's up there. I mean, he has like 50 years experience and um, you know, when he touches a knife uh, now he has employees that work for him, but there's certain knives that are super VIP. If he touches them, if he finishes them, if he starts them, if he's, you know, forging them, that knife can be upwards of $15,000 for that one knife. Um, his knives now, I think, are a little more mass-produced, and he, you know, he outsources a lot. So some of his knives are about five hundred, five fifty on average. Um, but you know, every once in a while, you'll get that heirloom piece that comes just from Bob Kramer. So, <clears throat> so that's just the kind of level that that he is at, and uh, and he actually took a meteorite that that hit Earth, believe it or not, <laughs> from space, and uh, and he created a knife out of that with Anthony Bourdain. It was the coolest thing, and uh, and I was super fascinated with that, and I had watched this special over and over. I actually had it saved in YouTube over the years, and it was one of those things where you save a YouTube video, and then you watch it every once in a while, some for inspiration, whatever, and I watched it, and uh, and it was it was right at, in the beginning of 2020. Um, actually, I should say it's like Christmas of 2019, beginning of 2020, where uh, I started to fiddle around with making a knife. And I actually went on Instagram. Uh, and I shared it to Facebook. So both Instagram and Facebook and said, you know, I'm going to challenge myself this weekend to make a knife. Uh, obviously walking into it, knowing absolutely no idea, you know, how to do this. Um, and, and going into now, see, wait, I, 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 like you're going to challenge yourself to make a knife in a weekend with no idea. I swear I would guess if I had to guess right now that I was going to challenge myself to make a knife, I, I would say I'd have to give myself at least 18 months to figure it the fuck out and do it. But you just said, I'm going to do it this weekend. That's right. Um, and actually the, that same knife is in my shop right now. I, I have it as like, a, I, I took the first probably two dozen knives and I, and I welded them all together into a big sculpture. And that's kind of like, you know, my sculpture of mistakes. And, and that's what I have to look at every time I walk into my shop. So it's kind yeah. of like the, the iron throne with all the swords. Is that it? The, the shame, the shame <laughs> throne. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, so I, you know, I said I would do it in two days and I did, it, it was a homely looking knife. It definitely didn't look, um, as, as nice as it could have looked. Um, obviously, especially not now, three years later. Um, but you know, that's just what I wanted to do. And I think that if the, I get the quote right, I said, I wanted to challenge myself to make a working, uh, knife that's suitable for the kitchen in that time. So I finished the knife in two days. I brought it in the next day, super proud of it. And I got my first taste of people going, well, that looks like crap, man. I, you know, and look, I mean, it did, it did look like crap now that I look back at it, but it did take me my full two days to make. I mean, we're talking, you know, I was, I was heat treating over hot coals in my Kamado oven. Um, I didn't have a proper, I didn't have proper anything. Yeah, I was um, yeah. Like what kind of equipment did you set out to start using? I didn't have an anvil. Um, so I used a, uh, a railroad tie that I got off of Craigslist for $12 <laughs> and I talked him down from $20. Um, but, uh, and, and that was the closest thing I could get. Um, and, and it didn't do a very good job. I didn't have a very big, um, you know, hammer. Uh, you're supposed to use about, you know, a two and a half to three pound hammer. I had this really bad one from, 
Harbor Freight, um, which anybody who makes knives or knows anything about tools will know that Harbor Freight is the worst place to get to buy tools. You want them to last. Um, So, you know, I didn't have much equipment and all I had was this little bench grinder um, and it was just a stone bench grinder that I I was able to grind away at the the steel. And then after I finished everything, um, I got the knife together. I heat treated all that stuff. I got the knife together. I I, I epoxied it, all that stuff. And then um, when it was finally finished, it was razor sharp. And then I cut a few things on it. It was super nice. And then about, you know, 10 minutes later, it was dull. And here I didn't heat treat it properly. And then, you know, there I am starting to, to research, you know, how to heat treat it properly and then to realize it's such a science and you can't just go by look like they did back in, you know, the old days. I mean, you can, but, you know, then there's, there's, a, there's a very big learning curve there. So, um, you know, eventually, you know, I, I started uh, getting messages from people and saying, oh, my God, you, you made a knife? That's badass. Would you make me a knife? And I, ideally, I didn't want to, you know, make them to sell. That was never my intention. My intention was just to make them for myself because of you know the passion of being able to make a knife but then people just got very interested and just you know people that either have worked with me or for me or just knew me from the industry ran in the same circles they wanted a knife from me and um you know i just started i started selling them a couple of them actually i asked for back uh and i said look i said i I, this was at a point where yeah i mean I, i wasn't charging a lot i said this is at a point where i it's just I had no business going out the door, you know, but they really, but, you know, those are going to be the rare ones, man. I'd be like, I'm not getting rid of that shit. Cause when you're selling knives for $15,000, your clunkers end up being the more valuable, right? Like you want to see, I want to see Picasso when he got it wrong, you know, in his sketch. That's true. That's true. And you know, what's funny is that one, one guy, I'm not going to mention who, but one chef here in town, I asked for my knife back and I said, Hey, I will replace it with a better knife. I promise you. And he goes, I don't want that. And he argued with me till, you know, tooth and nail. And he's like, I'm not going to give it back to you. And I said, please, out of respect, you know, and I gave him the analogy cause he was a sous chef that had worked for me many years. Now he's an executive chef. Um, I said, just out of respect, you know, if you pushed up a plate of food and, and you knew who it was going to, I said, and someone's, and someone's telling you, please don't send that food out. Would you do that? I go, that's what I'm doing right now. Please don't give, don't take this. Let me take it back. And he said, okay, absolutely. So he let me take it back and I fixed it. And he's super happy with the result. Wow. Well, so how many knives now in the three years have you made? Unofficially 250 around there, give or take a dozen. And now what size are these knives? Everything from, you know, uh, pairing knives to oyster knives to bone boning knives to, you know, Chef Guyoto knives to, you know, Santoku knives. I even did for John Courtney, actually. I did a breaker knife because he's a, a butcher. So, uh, you know, and that, that went up to uh, Utah. And uh, no, and, and, and as, as it's growing, you know, I post my pictures and, and I've, I've sent knives to, uh, I sent an oyster knife to Australia about uh, two months ago. That was super cool. And uh, I sent a bunch of knives to Canada. Some, some of the chefs know me, some don't. Um, and I, you know, I'm sending knives to New York and Alabama. And so, you know, word of mouth is getting around. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. And they are gorgeous. Um, first, while, while we're doing this, if people are in front of their phone or whatever, and they can Google to tell them where they can go and see some pictures of your knives. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can Google it and it would just say, you know, Todd Harrington and, and usually, or even TH blades. And it comes up as one of the top 
couple things on um, on Google, uh, but on Instagram, I'm Todd Harrington eight um, zero, and Facebook, just my name, Todd Harrington. Okay, cool. So check that out while we continue talking here. Um, so yes, yes, right. <laughs> and I do. Have, I can't believe I didn't mention I have a website. It's uh, thblades.com. Okay. Yeah, that's a thought. okay, man. But I don't know these kids today. Maybe they don't have websites. I don't know. I'm out of touch. Um, so as as everybody's looking at those now, I've got some questions I've had from the the very beginning. One. As I said, I've never watched it, but I believe there's a show on where people kind of design knives and they design swords and they, you know, forged in fire or some shit like that. I don't know. But when I see that, it seems very militant. It seems very, very militaristic kind of knife making. And that led me to wonder, are the skills in making hunting knives or swords or axes or anything that's seen primarily as a as a battle, I guess, or, or as a weapon, are those skills the same as making knives for the kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen some beautiful, um, you know, I mentioned Bob Kramer, but uh, there's also Jason Knight. Uh, you can Google him. He makes some beautiful hunting knives, uh, beautiful buoy knives, um, you know, things that, are, you know, they're just such a work of art, but they're meant for, you know, killing animals and gutting animals, but they look great. I mean, it takes the same amount of, of, of if not more time, just because there's so many more facets and, and, and things that go into it. Um, you know, for me, I'm trying to make the same knife as much as I can over and over again to get good at it. Um, and so I don't want to be so, you know, complicated and, and, you know, all tied up in the, the beauty of it. I think, I think they're pretty enough as it is, but you should see some of these, you know, the, just the facets that are in a lot of these hunting knives and the buoy knives. There's, you know, sometimes in their handle, there's 20 different pieces that make it up. It's pretty cool. So when you, when you have this idea in your head, somebody comes to you, they want to design a knife. Um, what are the components that go into it? What are the decisions somebody has to make when they're placing an order? That's a great question. So, you know, that's the most asked question. Um, a lot of people hear custom knife and they're just like, you know, and they send me a picture of some knife on Amazon. And I say, well, if you want that shape, uh, I can do that definitely. If you want that price, I can't do that. Um, you know, it's usually about 11 hours hands-on each project. And that's hands-on. That's not waiting at the oven. Um, so, you know, a lot goes into this, a lot of time, effort, all that, uh, and love, of course, and care. Um, but I, I, I would, I usually just ask, what kind of steel do you like? Um, if you, usually it's a high carbon steel. So it's either a high carbon mono steel like 1095, which is a super high carbon, retains an edge very well. Uh, it takes a little bit longer for me to actually get that edge. But once it's there, it's, it's very, very easy to, to keep sharp. So it hones up very nice and it stays sharp for, not ever, but it stays sharp for a long time. Um, and then, uh, and then I, I usually say, what style do you like, if any preference? Obviously, the length, you know, if you have a preference in handle, if you have a bigger hand, smaller hand, things like that, you know, that's the beauty of having a custom knife. And then uh, beyond that, I ask, um, you know, what color? You want any color? You want a straight wood handle? Do you want just, uh, you know, um, something that has red accents to it? I had a chef that says he wants, uh, actually, just recently, he wants one um, that's, lab that's, that's after uh, Darth Vader. So, you know, I kind of have to take a couple things and signatures, and now I have a laser etcher and all these things that I can actually make that a little more personal for them. And so I guess there are, when you're making the handle, everybody assumes, I guess, they're made out of wood primarily. But I know I saw when you made mine, there was also like an orange resin that you used for it. There are other materials that you put in there. So what else goes into that? And, and how do you do that? Like, what's the physical process like of, of creating those handles that have more than one material in them? 
Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a high. Um, I should say it's a super dense uh, resin. It's almost to compare it to like a bowling ball. It's like bowling ball grade resin. Um, and and I set it with a pressure pot, just like in cooking. Um, but you know, painters use it. Uh, um, you know, when you're trying to get air bubbles out of, uh, let's say, like a like a coffee table. Uh, you know, they have these big kind of like pressure pots, and if it's not shaking it, um, you're able to like suck those bubbles out. I have a smaller version of that that I can put the whole handle material in there and it sucks all the air bubbles out um and for for a, a parallel when i first started this well, all i wanted to do was make chef handles with spices in there so i thought it was so cool to have star anise in there and and to have you know black peppercorn and red and pink peppercorn all these things in the, in the handle um, but what i didn't realize is that you have to stabilize these things first and stabilize means you have to soak it in the stabilization you know liquid essentially it's like an epoxy but super thin and then you have to bake that and then it almost makes the whole piece of of spice or wood or whatever you want to stabilize into the glass it makes it so dense and hard so that it's not porous um and then you can then take that and put it in resin. So, so it's, it's a really long process. And, uh, you know, and it's funny because you, you say how long and, and what does it take to make one of these handles? It was a rabbit hole for me because, you know, I'm, I'm not the type of person to be a perfectionist at all, but I am the type of person that hates not knowing how to do something. So, you know, I wanted to make a knife and then I'm like, oh, I got to put a handle. So I don't want any normal handle. I want this kind of handle. And then I'm watching these guys and they're doing like these really cool segments and handles. And I'm like, well, I want to do that. So that's why it's gotten to this point now where I don't, a lot of knife makers out there, um, they, they'll buy uh, knife scales. I, I don't do that. That's just the, the wood that has, you know, whatever segments on there. I, I make my own segments. And then I guess and I'm sure people that work in a kitchen know this and people who cook may know this, but those of us who don't do either of those things may not really know what are the marks of a good knife, right? When I walk into a steakhouse and you could, you could tell the weight in your hand sometimes when I'm in a great steakhouse. Um, we all know there's at least one steakhouse in this town though, that lets you choose your own knife, right? And they, they bring you a collection. They're honestly not the fur. I'm talking about a carver steak, of course, and you can or comment on them or not comment on them if you choose, but I've been to other restaurants that are like that and there's something very cool right and i always just go for the way that it looks or the way that it kind of just feels in my hand that it feels natural at the end of the day i'm gonna eat that fucking steak one way or another if i had to gnaw it off the bone so it's more aesthetics for me but what makes a good knife what should i be looking for when i see a knife you know, um, a lot of this is preference, and you'll hear from a chef, the first thing that they always say is balance. Obviously, they have to be sharp, so that's a given. Um, but a lot of chefs say balance, but that doesn't, that doesn't always translate to the actual knife's purpose, right? So, you know, you want a well-balanced knife that you're going to be using for a long time. So like an all-purpose chef knife or Gyoto or, or Santuco, Santoku, you want it to be balanced. But, you know, pairing knives and, you know, for a scimitar, the balance isn't so, you know, it's, it's, it's not so written in stone where it's going to be right at the, at the Ricasso of the, of the handle. Um, so for me, I would say that um, I'm kind of I've kind of become, and I hate using this term, uh, so I really shouldn't use it. But here I go, uh, a knife snob of sorts, because um, you know, and I talked to a lot of chefs that were in the same boat as I was, where majority of my knives, ex excluding one or two, were stainless steel, and stainless steel knives are. Um, you know they're very low maintenance they have a, a good amount of nickel in there that is that does not stain it doesn't it you know it, it's very uh it's very resistant to you know the elements now they can rust eventually if you were to soak them or throw them in the dishwasher or whatever right 
But um, high carbon knives, they uh, they have this beautiful patina that shows up over over time of use. So, for example, you can control that patina. If you were to cut, you know, fruits and vegetables that have a lot of acid in there, and you're cutting lemons and things like that, it'll it'll give this beautiful kind of brown patina. Uh, but if you were to cut a lot of raw chicken, there's enough iron in the chicken that it'll turn the the blade almost blue. It's very very beautiful. Um, so I prefer a high carbon knife. It doesn't necessarily mean it's better or worse. It's just my preference. But I feel that it, it shows that, that a lot of time and effort and thought went behind that. So if I were to sit at a steakhouse and this is a plug for myself. If I were to sit at a steakhouse, if uh, you know, if they had an heirloom piece that just got brought out to that to you as a diner, I thought I think that would be super duper cool. Now they would probably get stolen all the time, so so obviously you got to be ready for that. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I that's, that's the one thing I really kind of look for. I really like a lot of high carbon um, and you know some handle work. So you know a lot of these knives at the steakhouses they, they look nice, but it, you can just tell that they're put together by these kind of almost pipe cleaner. You know, it's equivalent to like a pipe cleaner pin that goes through the whole thing. It, it, it's almost hollow in the center. And then the handle itself looks like it's wood grain. But if you were to pull it off, because I've broken a lot of knife handles just to see what's inside. And a lot of them are are uh, are, are empty inside. They actually have a, a big void inside. And that's to do the balance. So for me, in order to do balance, I shave more metal off of the, the blade like, like they used to do in Japan. Nowadays, it's all made by a machine and pressed. And, you know, that... They don't have to like, you know, balance it by feeling it and grinding it. They're balancing it by already knowing what that blade's going to feel like and then putting on a, a, you know, down to the gram what that handle should be. And it just gets glued on. So that's the big difference there. Okay. A couple quick questions for anybody that wants to play around with this at home. Somebody who's got the bug just like you did three years ago. How, I don't want to say inexpensively, but how quickly and on what budget can you get into this as a hobby? Oh, man. Um, well, I, you know, I wouldn't uh, suggest it if you're not handy. It's extremely. <laughs> yeah, well, no, there's not Al Mancini doing this. Like, let's be fucking clear. I don't change my own light bulbs. If you are like me and you don't change your own light bulbs, I highly recommend you just look up Todd, order some knives and be happy and eat your food. But let's say somebody out there has a bit of a tool shed in their backyard, whatever. And um, they're like, oh, fuck it, man. I'm going to I make all these other things. I'm going to try making knives. Yeah, um, you know, all you need is a bench grinder. Um, you, maybe you need like a a, a thirty inch uh, belt sander, and um, you know, uh, you don't even need an anvil at that point. You're just uh, removing stock. It's called stock removal knives. I do those as well. Um, um, yeah, and I think that's that's all you pretty much need. Um, and you can make a pretty you know Jurassic knife out of that, and that's kind of what I did. Um, but 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 just beware because that itch will lead to you know you know. 30 grand in debt. Yeah, well, any great hobby will be expensive and never pay for itself, no matter how good you are at it. That's right. I mean, my shop, uh, my shop didn't look the same as it does now a year ago. It didn't look the same as it, it, it did three years ago. So, I mean, I'm always kind of upgrading it. And every time I do that, it either, you know, it, it makes the, my final product better or it, it makes me more efficient. So, um, you know, it still, it still takes the same amount of time essentially to do knives. But now I'm able to make, you know, four to six knives at a time. So uh, let's say somebody doesn't want to go through all that, but they just want one of your amazing knives. Um, what's the process with ordering something from you? How long does it take? What are the, where's the price range that they should be considering? 
Yeah, I mean, that all kind of depends. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I have something for every budget because I don't. Um, but, you know, they range from like a paring knife for, and I don't have my prices in front of me, um, but that's like $150 for a, a paring knife, maybe a little less than that, 130 It just depends on what steel and, and materials. Um, and they can go all the way up to 650 if you want a knife that has that's laced with copper and just glows and is beautiful. And, um, you know, it's essentially designer steel. But um, no matter what, you get a $300 knife for me or you get a $600 knife for me, they still take about 11 hours hands-on. So it's more about, you know, me kind of fulfilling this, you know, uh, need to create, you know, I don't, I, I'm not gouging anybody. It, it's just, you know, it's a lot of time that goes into it. It's like 15 bucks an hour, really. <laughs> but everything is custom ordered. There's not like a, a, you don't have a bunch in stock that somebody could just go on and buy one. You know, this year is the very first year that I took advice from a, from a fellow knife maker. Um, I go, I go to blade show every year down in Atlanta. And this is my, my fourth year. I'll be going this upcoming year. Um, and he had said to me, he's like, Todd, if you're, if you're making a knife, uh, if you're cutting a shape out, cut two, cut three, and just start building yourself a, a, a little bit of a stock. So I do have, uh, you know, four or five different uh, shapes. If I, if I were to get some last minute orders um, and, and they have to be ready by Christmas, I, I would get them ready. Uh, it, you would just have to choose from what I already started because we're hours in at this point. And then otherwise, if people want to come to you and maybe buy an entire set or just buy something for somebody that they love, how long? I mean, we talking give you a year's notice. Uh, how long does that take? You know, I did a I did a set of four knives for somebody in Georgia, and it took me just under a year. Um, but I had I, I was having surgery at the time, so it kind of put me out of commission for a couple months. Uh, actually, one of the reasons why I left my career as a chef. Um, well, I'll always be a chef. Um, but you know, I. I I quote about five, six months, and I usually beat that, but I, I have been quoting about five, six months. Well, man, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for the knife and for everything, and best of luck in everything going forward, man. Thanks, Al. I really appreciate it. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We are all over social media. Just search for Food and Loathing or reach out directly. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. And where am I these days? What am I doing? Most important, what am I eating, cooking, and learning? Find out in time at wishboneandvine.com. One more time, that's info at foodandloathing.vegas. And my site, wishboneandvine.com. It is time for the news. And, man, I'm seriously starting to wonder whether Yelpers have more taste than I've given them credit for, like, ever. Because they have put Las Vegas's Anima by EDO in the top position on their list of the 25 best new restaurants for 2023. Damn straight. 
Bravo. I've been raving about this place for nearly oh. two years, as have just about every serious foodie I know in Las Vegas. And I'm not even going to give them shit about the fact that the restaurant is nearly two years old. Right. And it's the best new restaurant <laughs> because the cutoff on being a new restaurant was any place that opened after January 1st, 2022. And I think they probably made it in there by like three days, right? <laughs> if we so. remember when they opened. I don't really remember. But look, I get it when you're dealing with a platform like Yelp. It does take time for word to trickle down to the you know, Joe yeah. public. So it also shows that it's not just like the really snooty food snobs and podcast hosts and James Beard judges that love this place. It's also a place for the so-called regular people of Yelp. And in that sea of negativity and toxicity, <laughs> the fact that they came together to promote such an amazing restaurant gives me hell hope yes. for that platform. Hell yes. And not enough that I'm going to give up on Neon Feast. No, hell no. <laughs> Still think we could use an alternative, but hey. Um, I, look, I just received word from Payman Ralph that he has closed the Payman's location on Eastern Avenue. Oh, no, no word for now on why I've been trying to get together with him. And the news came rather abruptly. Yeah. I know that like three or four concepts have failed in that position, on that spot over there on Eastern over the years. So I know it's a tough place. Um, but I can confirm that the West Sahara location is still up and running and oh, doing good. just fine. Actually, I need to get in there one night. I want to go just sit around and smoke some hookahs one evening, yeah. maybe one Saturday night. So if you guys are up for it, let Let's me know. Do Let's it. just go over and, and suck down some hookah over there. Um, okay, what else do we have? A couple of wine events. Ooh. First, Psalm Sundays returns to Ada's Food and Wine in Tivoli Village this Sunday from noon to 3 p.m. Doug Marjoram of Marjoram Wine Company. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry. He's going to be their guest Psalm. And as usual, there is no cost to attend this event. Everything's a la carte. But we recommend and making a reservation to secure yourself a spot. I spoke to Ada's wine goddess, Kat Thomas, about that event. Doug Marjoram is going to be showcasing not only his talents, but his wines here at Ada's on December 3rd from 12 to 3 p.m. So what can we expect in, in the way of wine and what can we expect in the way of food to pair with it? So Doug has been in Santa Barbara County for 40 years and is a champion of those wines, uh, particularly some of the Rhone styles. We've got a nice Sanso that we're going to highlight, as well as um, his Sauvignon Blancs and his Rhone white and red blends. And has Chef put together special dishes to go with those? Of course, but I still don't know what they are yet. <laughs> no worries. Now, explain what this is, because it's not a ticketed event. You don't have to buy the whole deal. Um, you know, how's it work? So Psalm Sunday is really fun because as much as we encourage making a reservation online or uh, over the phone with us, you can just show up and you can taste either one wine or you can do one of the two flights that we're offering. Um, and you get to actually sit and talk with Doug and experience the vibrancy of what he's showcasing. Then on Thursday, December 7th, Chinglish Cantonese Wine Bar will be hosting a Silver Oak pairing dinner. And owner Ken Heck told me a bit about that. We're very excited to host Silver Oak at our next wine event. Silver Oak is one of those brands that um, they've done such a good job for so long that you just cannot deny the quality of, of their product. And, and their Cabernet Sauvignon is their flagship product. And so for us to have the opportunity to, to really highlight their wines alongside dad's food is a really great opportunity for, for us. And we're very excited about it. We're specifically though gonna be offering 
library wines from from Silver Oak. And these are things that, that typically most people can get their hands on. And it's a really great opportunity that we're going to be extending to our guests and at a really, really inexpensive price. At $175, you're going to get yourself a nice opening drink with a beautiful Sauvignon. Uh, but we're following it up with the Alexander Valley Cabernet Sauvignon 2019 and then comparing it to the 2013. And then we're doing it again with the Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, which is Silver Oak's flagship wine. Taking the 2019, which was a fantastic year, and comparing it to a 2013. So you're not only going to be able to taste how good it came out in 2019, you're also going to get a good glimpse into how well this kind of a bottle and this kind of a quality of wine can age. We're going to be pairing these wines to some of Dad's signature items, including some of the pork char siu, beef satay skewers, and of course, our unparalleled Peking duck. We're gonna have two Peking duck roll-ups, and we're really expecting the savory duck and the hoisin sauce to pair beautifully with the, with the 2013 Napa Cab. As we've mentioned previously, one of the best parts of the Miracle on Spring Mountain Holiday pop-up is the guest pizza program yeah. that they do. They bring them in throughout the month. They're raising money for a good cause always. This year, it's the Inspiring Children Foundation, which helps youth and families from a variety of socioeconomic backgrounds rise above their challenges and struggles in life to heal grow and become their best selves. And who could be against best selves? Right? right? I don't want yeah. anybody to be anything less than that. So if you're against that, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going really out on a limb with the politically controversial thing here. Um, we have two of those pop-ups coming up over the next week. First, on Monday, December 4th, Soul Belly's Barbecues. So I'm going to try that again. I mean, you don't have to cut it out, Rich. Leave it in there. But first, on Monday, <laughs> December 4th, Soul Belly Barbecues, Bruce Kalman will be over at the original Sand Dollar Slinging Pies. And then on Wednesday, December 6th, it will be Guy Savoie's executive chef, Nico Constaglia. And I hope I did not mispronounce Nico. I hope I apologize, so, given chef. your uh, yes. heritage. Um, <laughs> I spoke with Bruce about what he has planned. I always love going to the Miracle on Spring Mountain, and I think it's you know just such a great cause. Anything that has to do with kids, I'm in. You can pretty much count me in. Also, anything that has to do with pizza, you can count me in too. So um, these guys asked me to participate. Uh, I'm the lead-off guy, essentially, so I'm doing uh, this coming Monday, December 4th. I'm gonna be making a couple different pizzas. One is sort of barbecue-centric, and one is my old world uh, of Italian cooking. So the barbecue-centric pizza is called the Jiggly Meat Supreme, and it's sort of a burn-end pizza with barbecue onions and um, some smoked scamorza and a little uh, honey pepper barbecue sauce. And then for the other one, it's this pizza I've made for a long time, and it's potato, Brussels sprouts, and guanciale. And so I have some guanciale I'm curing right now. Um, and then the potato, uh, sorry, the Brussels sprout leaves will get cooked in the guanciale fat. So they get nice and crispy and all that smoky flavor. They're really good. And then I make a cream with uh, rosemary and Parmesan to go as the base. It's just such a simple and incredibly delicious pizza. It's great for wintertime. Finally, for me at least, Urbano Truffles, Urbani Truffles, excuse me, which is a company that has been operating in Las Vegas for decades, selling to some of the Strip's top restaurants, is doing a pop-up at Italy. 
Oh. Every Sunday through Thursday from 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. through the end of February, the Truffle Company will take over the Italian market's private 12-seat chef's table, offering a variety of dishes with your choice of black or white truffles shaved tableside for you. I saw a few of the menu items, such as carpaccio, a pasta, a chicken, and a strip steak, and the prices ranged from between $32 and $75 per dish with the black truffles and from about $48 to about $105 with the white truffles. Reservations not required for this one, but seating is first come, first served. Oh, that sounds good. I have a lot of Urbani truffle points. Now I just want to go shopping. <laughs> um, you know, I have more sad news. This one kind of breaks my heart a little bit, but... Uh, 5098 Bread is closing its doors, and its last market day for bread, cookies, etc. will be December 10th. No, no. Chris and Ryan shared that they separated personally in June and that it's not conducive to keeping the bakery business open. A much longer message is available to all of their customers, fans, and buyers on their social media at 5098 Bread on Instagram. Chris, also known as the Tinned Ficionado, will continue her Tinned Fish business and the Tinned Fish Club in Las Vegas. That's what we got. Okay. Yeah, that one hurt a little bit. Well, that is, I'm sorry to hear that for those guys. I wish them all the best Absolutely. in whatever they do next. Um, and that's about it for this show. Thanks to our guests, Todd Harrington, Kat Thomas, Ken Heck, and Bruce Kalman. For Rich Johnson and Samantha Gemini Stevens, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Yeah.